Okay, so yeah, it's a little different today. Um, as you all know, too, sometimes we have the chairs sit seated in, in a circle. We didn't do this today, but um, I'm excited about what God has for us today. We are in Psalm 90. Is that right? Psalm 90. Um, I don't know. Do, were you going to read that for us? Psalm 90 first. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to go ahead and flip to that right now whenever you just ask me that right on the spot. Um, so, yeah, we're in Psalm... Um, so, yeah, we're in Psalm 90 today, and um, I guess it's mostly touching on the legacy that we are leaving, um, and so we're going to read that right now. Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, you have been your dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you have had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, return, O child, like, every or like yesterday when it passed. And like a watch in the night, you carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning, they are like grass which grows up. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up. In the evening, it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days are passed away in your wrath. We finished our years like a sigh, and the days of our life are seventy years. And if by reason of strength they are eighty years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as, as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad in all our days. Make us glad according to the day in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants, and let your glory to their children, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hand for us. Yes, establish the work of our hand. And so um, with that psalm, we kind of talked amongst ourselves in our pastor's meeting, and we were um, just pulling out from that psalm some of the things that it's touching on. And one of the, the questions that we had from that um, was, with our days being numbered, what do you hope to be remembered for, or what kind of legacy do you hope to leave? And so we're going to ask that of each one of them up here, if Justin... Do you want to go first? Sure. <laughs> so um, in high school, uh, I was about 18. I think it was my senior year of high school. I heard a pastor preach on writing their own obituary. And he said, what do you want your obituary to say? And thinking about death was not a common occurrence for me in high school. I was indestructible. I used to do a lot of rock climbing and surfing and BMX, and I was going to live forever. But it really kind of got me thinking about what, what do I want people to have said about me in the end of my life. And he was preaching out of Acts 9, and in Acts 9, 36, it said, At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. Also, if any of you are going to have a daughter anytime soon, Dorcas is a biblical name. <clears throat> 
This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days she became sick and she died. And when they had washed her and laid her in an upper room, and since Lydia was near Joppa, the disciples had heard that Peter was there, and they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to him. And Peter arose and went with them. And when they had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him, weeping and showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. So they were talking about this woman, and she was a rich woman at the time, but she spent her entire life, um, or the latter years of her life, making clothes for those who could not afford them. And she loved the widows, and she loved the orphans, and she loved the poor. And so it got me thinking, what do I want my legacy to be? And I realized that nobody ever will care how much money you ever made, and uh, nobody cares what company you start. In fact, most of the guys I work with all started their own companies as a legacy, and they realized their kids did not want to get in that line of work. And I don't say this to be a bummer, but I'm telling you right now, no one's going to care the size of your house. No one's going to care your 401k is. No one cares what kind of car you drive. But people care about how much you loved them. People care about the kind of impact you had in other people's lives. And um, when I was, an, I was an associate pastor, I went to the funeral of a 33-year-old man. He was a wonderful guy. He was another pastor I served with for years. He was a, he was a former drug dealer. And he gave his life to Christ, and he used to go and minister to other drug dealers. And he was a great guy. And he found out later, he uh, married a couple kids, was a pastor, getting ready to go plant a church in Ireland. And he found out he had a rare form of, of stomach cancer that ended up taking his life. And I say that because at his funeral of a 33-year-old man, there were 400 people. And there were motorcycle gangs that showed up. There were drug dealers that showed up. There were drug addicts that showed up. There were prodigal children that showed up. About 15 people gave their life to Christ at that funeral. About three kids I knew who had been walking away from the Lord came back. And it got me thinking, when I die, that's when I don't care if I die poor, and I don't care if I die with nothing, but when I die, I want people to come to Christ, and I want people to be in the room who came to Christ because of the kind of life that I lived. So when I think about what kind of legacy do I want to leave, that's what drives me is like, man, I want to have the kind of life where people are weeping, not because I'm so special, but because of the way the Lord's impacted people through me. And that's what I think of. Thank you, Justin. Justin wanted to live forever. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a tiger. <laughs> uh, I didn't want to be a people. I didn't want to hang out with people. I didn't belong to people. And later, God got hold of me a little bit, and I, I grew to the point where I wanted to be with people, but I didn't feel like I fit in with people. And then God really got hold of me, and I felt like, okay, I belong with God, but I don't really fit in with people. And as I began to walk with him, I gradually got to the point where I did fit with people. And I felt like a people, and I wanted to be part of people. But then I got to the point, say, call 40 maybe years old, where you start to think to yourself, you know, life isn't going to go on forever. Um, what do I want my legacy to be? Uh, and for me, it was the verses where, where Jesus is talking about, you know, at some point I'm going to be separating sheep from goats. And uh, he also says things like, to those who have been given much, 
much will be required. And I was totally given much. I had a happy family and good health and a good mind and all the money we needed and a good situation. And, you know, what was I going to do with that? So really, it's not so much for me a question of what do I want my legacy to be, but what does God want his legacy to be through me? What does he want to do with my life? And now that I have grown to the point where I actually fit in with us, and I have people who love me and people that I love, I ask God, okay, what do you want to do with my life, Lord? And I think what he's telling me is that he wants my life to be a presence from him. That in experiencing my presence, people could experience a little bit of his welcome and his peace and his acceptance and his encouragement and his healing, his restoration. That's what I want to leave. I want to leave a history of people having been able to meet Jesus in some small way through me. Thanks, Weezy. So when I was thinking about the, uh, this question, um, as many of you know, um, I came to know uh, the Lord late in life, relatively speaking. Um, I was 33, and I'd grown up in the church, and you know, the um, growing in the church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. Um, and um, and so, uh, you know, I had um, I had been, um, you know, I, I, I was really well off track. And one day um, he got my attention and, and uh, I gave my life to the Lord. And it was it was really for me a dramatic change in my life. And um so a lot of the legacy that I have, I feel that I give to my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids to realize that um, you can be way down that path, um, and God's not going to be done with you. God's going to love you, and he's going to be there. And that, uh, you know, we hear that, um, you, you, you know, God loves you too much to ever leave you alone, and on the other hand, he leaves, loves you too much to leave you the way you are. Um, and... Um, one of the things I found that was really important and I try to really teach my kids um, is, is the word. Um, to start with the word, the truth. Um, one of my favorite verses, uh, Proverbs 3, starting in verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Um, and I find there's times that I think, well, this is what I really think I should do. And it's like, no. It's, that's not what it says. Um, and we have things that we think we want to do. We think it's the right answer, but it's not. Um, and the truth is in here, and I want my kids to understand that. Um, start here. Um, you know, there's some other verses, Psalm 119, verse 10. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. You know, that idea of planting his word in your heart. Um, so the first thought that comes in your mind should be the word he's given you. And I encourage my kids and my grandkids and thought to spend time in the word, to read the word, to know the word. Um, and it's, it's not very popular. Um, it takes time and effort, which is not something 
a lot of the younger generations want to do, but it's so crucial for when something happens in your life that the first thing you go to is the truth. Because uh, quite often, if the first thing you go to is how you feel, you're going to be in trouble. Um, I used to fly airplanes, as you know, and, and uh, we always say you never go from the ground to the map. You always go from the map to the ground. And what that means is if you're flying along and things, you don't seem to be on track of where you should go, you look at the map because the map told you where you should be. And then you look at the ground to find out where you are and you go from small to big to figure out why am I off track. Because if you go from the ground to the map, there's bridges all over the place. And the fact that you found a map, a spot on the map that has a bridge on it doesn't mean that's where you are. But if you go from the map to the bridge, you'll always make sure that that's the correct bridge. And this is the map. This is how you find the right path. And when you get off path, go back to here and you'll find the right path. Um, and so really that's the legacy I want to leave to my kids is that um, if you seek the true path, you will find it. Um, and there's times that we don't like that answer. As you know, I had a really interesting last couple of days. Uh, but the, um, God's there. You know, he's, he's got a plan. And, and I've gotten to the point in my life, because I'm old, where I'm comfortable whatever road we go down. You know, I've, I've joked. I said, you know, if you wanted me dead, he's had plenty of chances. So clearly he's got something else he wants me to do, and I keep going down the road. Thanks. As we were talking in our meeting, we were talking about just the difference between all of us and how our God is a multidimensional God. He is so amazing, and I love that in the body of Christ, there's, there's a uniqueness in each and every one of us that nobody can be like the other. And I love that about the diversity in, in all of us, our personalities, just different things that we've faced in our lives and things um, in the group here. Um, as I think about that question, um, I think mostly two things kind of stuck out for me. Um, one, I've always kind of wanted to do so much for the Lord that whenever I um, am able to go and be with him and I'm no longer on this earth, that I've done so much that, like, they have to, like, have five people to fill all of the things that I did. <laughs> like, I want to do so much that, like, so much for him that it's just, like, there's just... Um, so many people that are impacted, and I think that um, my other biggest thing is just that people would know Jesus because I was on this earth, that, that there's, there's people that I've talked to or that I've ministered to in a way that they've, they've encountered Jesus, and they'll never be the same because I decided that I will follow him. And in that legacy, I just want, um, I just want to bring about healing and, and introduce them to the amazing creator that we have and that that would live on and on and on because truly that is the only thing that lasts forever is, is what we do with him, what we do with Jesus. And so that is, that's my heart as I think about that um, question. Um, and then there's this little stool next to me that we kind of have a hot seat up here now, and I'm going to kind of scoot over because we have this little hot seat up here. Um, we've actually talked to a couple people and asked them um, 
to come up and talk to us about um, kind of their the reason why they do what they do. And so um, we're going to have Chuck come over first. If Chuck will come over, he, he knows I'm not putting him on the spot and being mean to him. I, he does know. He's getting on the hot seat. <laughs> so we'll have him come over and sit down. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Chuck, you're um, retired and you've, um, in a lot of times people live their life thinking of those years, like thinking, I can't wait to get to this, this time whenever I'm retired. And um, for your retirement, you know, you could be out on a golf course just uh, kicking up your heels every day or just uh, doing a bunch of nothing in your retirement. But as we look and see you serving and we see, see what you do um, so much, why is it that you do what you do? one thing, Jesus Christ, and uh, he did the ultimate for me, he gave his life so that I may have salvation, and there needs to be or has to be a response to that, that sacrifice he made for me, so my response is yes. I will do what you want me to do. Better? Oh, yeah. Mm. Yes, my response is, I'll do what you want me to do, and I'm not sure exactly what that looks like, but uh, I keep my mind open to the leading of the Spirit, and, uh, and he does work, and he does speak to me at in various ways, but uh, the bottom line is Jesus Christ. And Chuck, I just want you to know too, as I I love that about you. I love I love your heart, and I love how that is evident in all you do, everything that you do. And thank you for the encouragement that you are to me personally for all that you do and that that life that you live. I appreciate you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, and so will you move back over there so I can, because I, I only have one hot seat. <laughs> I only have one. <laughs> um, Tim, we're going to have you come up and take your seat in the hot seat, I guess. Um, and uh, again, it's the same question. You know, Tim, we watch you. You could be out on the golf course. You could, you're retired. You could be out on the golf course just living it up. But man, you do so much around this church and just to serve God and you have um, you have so much that you do, and I, I just I ask you that question too. Why is it that you do what you do? You know, I uh, I ask God that same question uh, many times a week, sometimes in a day. Um, some of you know that I'm I'm kind of addicted to being organized and making checklists and. Uh, <laughs> Microsoft Excel, especially, uh, and I know I have competition with that too with Debbie Obern. Um, and when I retired in 2016, it was kind of hard to give up, and I I thought, man, I got to hang around and finish up some projects. I just can't let this go. And as some of you might know I was in project management at, at Optical Sciences at the university, and 
one of the things I, I had to learn from scratch and got fairly decent at was, was keeping track of projects and its tasks and all the relationships. And that's a piece of software called Microsoft Project. And so some of these projects were 3,000 lines long and had costs associated with each one and, and durations, like how long is everything going to take? And so when I retired, it was like, man, somebody just pulled something out from under me. Like I had to continue to be organized. Well, how do I do that in church? Well, I got Dennis to give me the license to Microsoft Project that the church had so I could use that in a nonprofit that I was volunteering with and in the church. So I had everything laid out. Um, <laughs> so, uh, what's that? <laughs> yeah. So about three weeks ago, um, you fast forward a couple of years and I was asking God and I'm not a person that journals, um, but I started doing that. And one day I asked God, and this, this was dated September 19th. And I realized it, it was a real, it was kind of an idol to me that I was valuing being more organized and listening to him and being spontaneous, being able to respond to his word like we've all been saying, we want to be more sensitive, right, to God's word. I don't want to be a slave to my schedule. So how many of you use your calendars on your cell phones? I mean, <laughs> I'm addicted to it, I, you know. So I just want to read you what I wrote September 19th. Uh, Lord, plant in me the burning desire to build your church. This is after a prayer of, to God saying, Lord, please reorient me. Please refocus me. So in spite of all my lustful distractions, how do I build your church? Who am I, Lord, that you would choose to use and use me? How can I even be so bold to ask such a question? Please show and guide me. Point out who to talk to in big and little ways. I give up any assumptions about where you will lead. Help me to know you and hear your voice. Uh, so for me, that was, that was pretty huge. Um, and then about three weeks later, so this is on October 15th. I don't know how many of you use the, the Bible app called YouVersion. Um, it prompts me every day uh, to kind of reexamine my life in the light of who, who am I being in, in relationship with God. And one of the things that, that, the, that the author said was, ask yourself and pause, what, what is one, what's one word God has spoken over in my life? And I just, I paused and went, ah, what, what is that? What is that? And the word that, <laughs> the word that came <laughs> was, build my church. And so I, I went back and I, I grabbed my journal and there it was three weeks prior, the, the same thing. So I thought, oh my gosh, this is, hmm, I, he must be talking to me. This is not in my journal, I mean, for, for no reason, but it's not in my schedule either. Like, <laughs> now what do I do? <laughs> add it to the schedule. Yeah, so I add that to the schedule, listen to God. <laughs> And one of, the, one of the, the verses for that particular day, a new version, uh, it says, 
is, is in Isaiah 55, 11. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will always accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. So I had to just basically give up all, all the, the practices that had been successful for me, like being organized and keeping lists and just being able to, to listen to God. And a, a week ago last Friday, my best friend died of a heart attack. Uh, and, and Justin, when you were talking about uh, what am I gonna be known for? And I've, I've heard it said too that if you look at somebody's headstone, it always has the date you, you were born, the date you died. And your life is that dash in the middle. Well, that dash should stand for what have we been about in our lives? What, we, what have we done? Well, how has God worked work through our lives? That really caused me to, to sit back and ask myself, what is my legacy going to be? What, you know, what, what is God going to do to use me? And so right now, it's, it's an adventure because I'm going to give up having to know what it's going to be to put it in my Microsoft project plan. <laughs> and, okay, Lord, what are, you, what are you trying to say? What would you like to do in our church? So that's my, my promise, my dedication is to build this church. What does that mean? I have no idea. But I'll be reaching out to all of you to ask you, what do you think? Tim, I just want to say thank you, too, for, for you, all the things that you do, and the example that you are to me for just how to serve, the heart I need to have. I appreciate you for that. Thank you. So we're going to... Um, kind of switch gears and talking about, I have my phone right here, um, switch gears and in, in talking about another part of that psalm. Um, we are a people of the word and the spirit. The two combine to, con to transform us into the people that God desires us to be. Often we are unaware of a needed change in our attitudes or in our behaviors until God steps in and points them out through circumstances. When, you, when have you felt God acting directly in your life to bring about spiritual transformation? And while I'm just going to pass the mic down um, here, and then I'll go last again. So one of the things that I love about thinking about my legacy in Christ and what I want that to be by the time I by the time I die is that I think that is also something that God's interested in about and he doesn't necessarily want to leave you where you are I love it's easy to come to Christ Jesus said man you can come to Jesus I don't care what you've done where you are and I don't care if you woke up in the gutter outside the church you're more than welcome to come in and accept him and he is waiting with open arms but he doesn't want to leave you in the gutter and he wants to continually change me so that I become more like him so that when I die, that hopefully I will have lived a life that will honor him. And like Dorcas, there will be the poor and the broken that will remember me because of what I was able to do for him. So I was thinking about that and um, where the, I've seen the Lord in my life correct me, where I've seen the Lord change me, where a lot of the times I don't even realize that I needed it. I don't know about you guys, but I am really, really good at saying what I believe 
and I'm really good about saying, man, yeah, I believe in the Bible, and I believe that my, my hope is in Jesus, and my hope is in God, and, and he's all that I need in life, and you realize after a while that what I say and what I really believe in my heart sometimes can be different, and I didn't even realize it. So I remember, um, I, uh, and I think uh, the Lord has broken me of depending upon myself and depending upon other things and other people and, ha- and showed me before that, Justin, you are not dependent on me. You are dependent upon yourself. Uh, I've always valued a strong work ethic, and I've, I've always valued my back. I've, the Lord's blessed me with a strong back, and I got, into, I got a job at 16, and I've been working ever since. And I used to look, I remember looking at people and I'm like, man, why can't this guy just go get a job? Why can't we do this? And I'd be like, Lord, I trust in you and I trust that you're going to provide for me. And I would work two or three jobs. I'd work overtime, whatever was needed. You need someone to dig the ditch? I can dig a ditch. And I prided myself on my work ethic and my work ability. And I'm like, all right, Lord. Kind of almost the idea without verbalizing that God takes care of those who take care of themselves. It's not in the Bible. God will take care of you. And the Lord, um, the Lord has been so gracious that I would get laid off quite frequently. I would show up earlier than other people. I would leave after people. I would work hard. Whether I worked harder than them, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. But I was always told, man, if you're a good hand, we'll keep your, you know, you'll keep a job if you're a good hand. And I would constantly get laid off. And I realized after a while, I would get to the point where I was like, okay, Lord, uh, we're going to apply for food stamps next week because nobody's hiring and I'm out of money and I'm out of food and I'm out of work. And the Lord was so gracious to constantly carry me where I never went without food and I never went without a place to live. But the Lord was gracious in showing me like, you, you are dependent on you. You are not dependent on me. You think that by the strength of your back and by your work ethic, you're doing like you think that's why some people do better than that's why you think at times you do better than other people because you work harder. It's not true. And I realized, man, the Lord is so gracious in changing the way that I perceive and I, I view other people. And I remember thinking, too, I got caught up where I was from and working at the time is a very successful area and people wear success on their sleeve more so than more so than other places that I live. That particular area was very successful and everybody wore success on their sleeve and I got caught up in my titles and I got caught up in my work ethic and I got caught up in a lot of things and I realized after a while that I was embarrassed that I wasn't doing as good I was embarrassed that my car was not as new I was embarrassed that the church helped me out with food once or twice I was embarrassed because I I've got a job and I work harder than this and I realized after a while that the Lord was working pride and arrogance out of my life It's like, dude, you are proud and you are arrogant and you are dependent on you. I'm not depending on Jesus Christ. And I'm not perfect at it, but I notice he's changed me of that over the years. And the Lord was allowing hard circumstances to show me character flaws. And one of the things that worries me is, man, if I'm not dependent on Christ, then I'm not going to have a legacy of loving other people. I'm going to have a legacy of me working harder than everyone else and having a slightly nicer house or a slightly nicer car. And that's not what the Lord wanted for me. And so I was super gracious that the Lord allowed me to fail, allowed things to be hard around me. And it also changed my attitude. Sometimes I had a bit of pride when you see other people that are struggling. And I thought, man, you know, if they just don't get, why don't they just go get a better job? Why don't they just work harder? And the Holy Spirit was like, dude, this is, 
that's not the right way of looking at this at all. Some people probably work harder than you and are struggling more. And I was really grateful that the Lord allowed me to struggle to see pride and arrogance in my own life. A lot of you have heard me say that I've had a candy-coated life. As I was mentioning earlier, I grew up in a loving family, um, had good health, a good mind, all the opportunities, stable situation. So basically, I grew up having everything I needed to do whatever I wanted. Could have done anything. Or I could have just amused myself. So that's what I did. I spent 40 years basically just doing whatever I wanted. Um, but I had known God for most of my life. And around the 40th birthday there, um, well, let me, let me tell you that story. Let me tell you a different story to tell you this one. Uh, in, in the Bible, there's a point at which Jesus is called to the bedside of a dying girl. And before he gets there, she died. Uh, but when he arrived, he said, don't worry, she's not dead, she's just asleep. And he went in and said, little girl, wake up. And she rose from the dead and carried on with her life. Totally different life. Um, so when I turned 40, God's word to me was, wake up! <laughs> so I did. <laughs> God has had mercy on me in that from the age of 40 to now, about every decade, he drops me into a boot camp to wake up another part of me. At 40, he, and this, it usually comes from the outside. It's usually not my idea. It's something that somebody else said, you should do that. At the age of 40, my pastor came to me and said, we think you should go to seminary. And I said, okay. And I went to seminary, and for a decade, I was surrounded by people who were deep in prayer, who loved the Lord, whose whole lives were all about God, everything, God everywhere, more God, more God. And he woke up my spirit to thirst after him and to appreciate the beauty and power and vigor and wonderfulness of seeking him. And when that boot camp was over, the next decade came, my 50s, and he dropped me into a different boot camp of walking my mom through Alzheimer's, which woke up the part of me that had, I see, I never raised anybody. I never even babysat anybody. You know. Fix that. So, yeah. <laughs> you free for that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, my answer would have been no, are you kidding? Uh, but that was a decade of learning sacrificial service because I had never been called upon to serve sacrificially before. And, you know, I'm not going to leave my mom hanging out to dry, so I walked her through her Alzheimer's, and it took about a decade, and that part of me woke up. And then my 60s came, and my pastor, God bless his heart, um, came to me and said, you know, we think you should be an elder. And then later, we think you should be a pastor. And I said, okay. <laughs> and during this decade of my sisties, I've been learning, and the part of me has been waking up to what God is able to do through me when I submit to him, when I'm willing to participate with people and not just be a tiger in the woods. And that part of me is waking up. Next year, 
well, two years actually, I'm going to be 70, and the next decade of boot camp is already on the way because I've already said, okay, <laughs> I'm going to be a full-time volunteer with Intended Hope. And what I hope God is going to be waking up in that decade is the part of me that is all in, that is completely invested, that's willing to throw it all to the wind and really be everything that God calls me to be as he calls me to be it. And it's scaring the bejubers out of me, but I'm looking forward to it. So that's God's discipline on me. Thanks, Weezy. Yeah, this is uh, kind of an interesting topic because we were talking about how we address this, and, and I'm one of those people. I've, I've had lots of uh, God's guidance on discipline, but, you know, we read in Scripture how he speaks to us in a small, still voice. Well, for me, he talks to me in a two-by-four because um, I'm not exactly bright at times, and I, it takes me a while to get it. And um, when uh, I first came to know the Lord, um, I was, like, excited. You know, I was in the Word. I was, I was Sunday school. You know, I, within a few months, I was, I, was, I was, believe it, I was teaching fifth through eighth grade Sunday school terrible event in my life but the uh <laughs> very difficult age but I mean I was totally excited and I had a super job and so I was paying my tithe I was I was I was um I put a new intercom system in the church I was just doing all this stuff and I realized God pointed out to me he says you're not doing all this stuff for me you're doing all this stuff for you you got all these people patting you on the back it's all you now um, and I'm just like, no, I don't think so. He goes, well, I can prove it to you. <laughs> That's a bad thing. So um, at the time, I had left the Air Force. I was in financial management, and my first few years was really good. I was making a lot of money, and, um, and then all of a sudden, the bottom fell out, and um, I was uh, doing all I could just to make rent and on my office, and, and uh, so I took a night job working as a grill cook at a Mexican restaurant, and then it just completely fell out the bottom, and, and um, we ended up in bankruptcy, and um, I remember I would take my employee meal home to feed the kids. Um, if you ever had one of those times where you get pork chops, and you cut the meat off, give it to the kids, and you chew on the bones, um, it was one of those kind of times. And it was, it was amazing because I love giving things to people. I don't like receiving stuff from people. And he said, I can fix that. Um, and he really made it clear to me that it was pride. That what prevented me from taking charity from other people is I was prideful. I remember we had a wonderful couple. We were one of those, I'm sure you've been there before, where you're, you know, you're out of money but not out of month. Um, and uh, we just, I just like, and we, we told ourselves we wouldn't put it on debt. We wouldn't, it was already bad enough. The last thing we wanted to do is start putting it on debt. So we just kept praying, and a good friend of ours, uh, Pat and Lauren Lofton, showed up with a car full of groceries. And they said to us, they said, you know, it's really weird. We bought all these groceries, and then we realized we're going out of town. There's no way we'll be able to use these groceries could you find something to do with them? Yeah, feed my kids, <laughs> you know? And there's other times, one of the biggest miracles that we experienced that time was that we had to feed, we had our kids plus our grandkids, and 
because um, two of our grand, you know, one of our daughters is just turned 49. So we actually have grandkids that are the same age as Eric and Michelle. And um, we had one box of macaroni and cheese, you know, the little skinny boxes. And um, Donna had this bottomless pot of macaroni and cheese. Um, she made this one batch of macaroni and cheese, and every time the kids wanted more, the pot was still full. And that just kept happening until everybody was eating, and she put leftovers in the refrigerator. And it was God saying to me, I got this. It's not you. It's me. Trust in me. Now, thank God I'm no longer a grill cook at a Mexican restaurant, but it really was a point in my life, and there's so many other points in my life where God says, okay, I've tried to be nice about it. Now I'm going to teach you the hard way. Um, and it's, it's uh, I'm trying to get more sensitive because I get tired of the two by fours. But, the, <laughs> but you know, it's like I said, he won't, he won't just leave you there. You know, he wants you right. Um, and, and again, I could go on for hours at any times that I've unfortunately taken the two by four. But um, I think I'm getting there. You know, I always figured the best you'll be is the day before you die, you know. Yeah, and again, we were talking about how different we all are and the way we experience God. And our, our God is a multidimensional God. He is a God that um, kind of deals with us the way that we need to be dealt with. He talks to us the way that we need to be talked to. And as I was listening to, to them, the word and the question previously, like when we, we actually decided to change up the wording of the question because the word was discipline. And even that word, I'm just like, what did I do wrong? Like, uh, I just want to fix it because I was that kid that was compliant. I was like, I never wanted to get in trouble. I never wanted to be disciplined for anything. So I bent over backwards to make sure like that. I only like, I only had like five spankings in my entire life. And it's because I hated being disciplined and I didn't want to be in trouble at all. And so whenever I think of God and disciplining me, I'm like, I don't think he's ever disciplined me. I'm like, maybe I'm, am I even a Christian? Like, I don't know. Like, we're sitting there like, I'm thinking, I don't know. I've never really experienced God, God's discipline. It, I, he never talked to me. I never felt it in that way. Man, has he ever um, come alongside of me and said, Deb, yeah, not that way, not that direction. Let's go this way. Yeah, he has. He really has done that. But that's like the worst <laughs> that he's ever done. He's never... You, like yelled at me in that way or anything like that. I, I actually I talked to them about one time I did hear God's voice and it was actual aud actually audibly, and He did yell, and it was He was it was in my back seat. It was I the hairs on the back of my neck stood up because I was driving and I was coming just up over a hill, and there was a man's voice, loud man's voice in my back seat that said, "Watch out." And just then I look up and there's a boulder in the middle of the freeway that I swerved around and got around it. But I was 18 years old and I was driving to school from Benson into Tucson and I had to pull over and shake the heckles on the back of my neck and look in my back seat because I thought there was a person back there. It's like, but that's the only time he ever like spoke to me audibly and that's the only time that I ever heard in a voice that was loud. But man, he has come along side of me. I remember one time um, 
I was just asking him, Lord, I just want to, I just don't want to feel this right now. I just want to feel numb. I just want you to take the pain away. I don't want to feel this anymore. I just want it to go away. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I want you to feel this. And I want you to know I'm right next to you. And I'm going to walk through this season with you. I'm going to be right next to you. I can't take it away. I need you to feel it. And what I want you to do is I want you to take notes. I want you to take notes and write it down. And I want you to remember what you're feeling right now so that you can share it with other people. You can remember the pain that you're in right now so that you know where they are. And I didn't really know what he was doing with that, but I was like, okay, I guess I'll do that. I guess I'll take notes. And I watched him over and over and over again supply for me in a way um, that nobody else could. And I watched him show up miraculously and then he said, now I want you to start looking out for other people. I want you to start looking at them and seeing something in them that's in you and reach out to them. And lo and behold, I would go to the grocery store, or just go places, and all of a sudden I'm like, I used to look like that. I used to put my head down like that. So I would come alongside of them and I would say, what's going on? Can, you can talk to me. I'll, I'm here for you. And they would start to share of the, the struggles that they were having in the, their life. And I realized, okay, that's what God's doing. That's how he's showing up. Before that time, it, it felt like I would maybe judge people because I, I was just that, that person that was like, if God is here and he is all that he said he is, we have no reason to be depressed. We have no reason to be sad. We have no reason to be anything but joyful. And man, during that season, I realized, no, oh, there's times that we are depressed or sad or lonely or that we're experiencing these things. And I'll rem I remember that during that time, whenever the Lord told me to take notes, he also said to me, it's during this time this numb that you're wanting, that people who decide to reach out to drugs and to alcohol, that's where they are. I never had a problem with drugs and alcohol. I didn't understand. But he said to me right then, I want you to understand this is where they are. Don't you ever judge them. Don't ever judge them. I want you to remember this place and understand that this is where they are. They just want five minutes to not feel this anymore. And so, I mean, God has always just spoke to me in that way, and he's corrected me in that way. And from then on, I've never, I've never thought twice about anything that, that people decide to choose to numb their pain. Because they're just looking for that. And um, I'm just thankful today that, that he does walk us through those difficult times. He does talk to us and change us and, and mold us into something different than what we woke up as. I love that scripture that says it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Every single morning we have that new opportunity. God can conform us into what he wants us to be. So I'm thankful for that today. So that is uh, the rest of our questions that we had today.